So this is our last week in our series called Our Heavenly Dad, and we've just been covering these three incredibly important words. The first week, we talked about the fact that God is not just my father, he's our father. He wants to have a family. He doesn't just want to have one or two individuals. He wants to have a family. He wants to be the father of a big family, and so he's our heavenly dad. We talked a little bit about unity. Then the next week, we talked about the fact that he's our dad. It's not just that he is father. Anyone can be father, but it takes a special man, as you've heard the quote before, to be a dad. And God, our father, doesn't just want to be father. He wants to be dad. He wants to be personal. He wants to have a relationship with us. And so we talked about the fact that God loves us so much that he would reach out to us in an intimate sort of way like a dad would and not just be some absent or distant father. So the first week was our. Then the second week was dad. Dad. And then for the past few weeks, we've been covering the ground of what it means to call him heavenly. There are a few specific things that I talked about. I could talk about that for a long time. In fact, I think my dad did a, my dad did a message series in his church that went over a year about the attributes of God being our heavenly father. And uh, so I just spent a few weeks on it, but we talked about God's sovereignty and we talked about how God is awesome, meaning he is terrifying, but also gracious. And we also talked about last week the fact that he is worthy. He deserves worship. It's not just that I, you know, want to worship him because I like him. It's that he is like a magnet. All honor, all glory, all praise, and all worship in the universe should go to him. He is worthy of worship. Today, we're going to close it out. And I'm not going to talk specifically about any one of these three words, I'm not going to talk specifically about our, specifically about the heavenly, or specifically about the dad. What I'm going to talk about is you. Because in order for us to say that he is our heavenly dad, there's one thing, one thing that we have got to understand, and it's that we are adopted. The the biblical understanding of our relationship with God has zero to do with anything you and I deserve. And it has everything to do with the fact that God has adopted us. I asked the question this morning about pets because I wanted to share with you a little story about a pet that I have. So a number of years ago, in 2012, my family decided that we were going to adopt a pet. And we had never owned a pet before other than like a goldfish in Chicago um, that quickly died. But we, um, we never owned a pet. We never thought we were going to be pet people. We never thought we were going to be animal people. But uh, after a lot of talk, after a lot of research, Jen and I finally decided that we thought it would be good for our family to have a dog. And so we did a ton of research. We had a friend who told us that she knew about a particular breed of dog that her family had that she really loved. And so uh, we began to do some research into that breed. And we found the breed is called a Havanese. And the Havanese is like a Bichon type of dog that was raised in Cuba. And everybody in America knows that if you can get some contraband... No, I'm just joking about the Cuba thing. But actually, these dogs were raised in Cuba. They were bred in Cuba to be the dogs for the royalty in Cuba. They were known as the um, Cuban royal dogs, the the Havanese royal dogs. And so, because they had kind of come from the Cuba, that Cuba area, 
area. That's how they got the name Havanese. But anyway, someone eventually imported them to the United States and then bred them over the span of about, uh, I don't know, 60 or 70 years or so. And so now it's a unique breed separate from Bichon or anything else. And we did the research and we found out they're relatively hypoallergenic. They're relatively calm. They're relatively smart. They're relatively, they desire to please their owner. And we just thought it would be a great dog for our family. We did all the research. Then we had to do the the research of where do we find such a dog. And so I was looking online for different places that bred Havanese. And and now I know there are places out there called Puppy Mills that I'm not such a huge fan of. But anyway, we were looking at breeders and all this kind of stuff. So my family went to Orlando, Florida to do our annual Disney World thing back then. And on our drive back from Disney World, we took a detour through Atlanta to stop off at a guy's house where he was breeding Havanese dogs, Havanese puppies. And so we went in there and we saw all the different dogs that he was breeding and he had a ton of them. There's this one little guy and he was tiny and he was cute. But there's a problem. There was another dog that I had found on Facebook that was tiny and cute and I thought, well, that dog might be kind of interesting and I tried to contact the owner from Florida and I didn't have such great luck contacting him until finally, on the same day we went to Atlanta, I got a contact back from this other guy. Turns out he's a breeder in Indianapolis and he had this cute little dog and I thought to myself, there's no way we would be lucky enough to get that special cute little guy because, of course, he was on Facebook. Everybody was going to fall in love with this guy. But I contacted him, and the dude said he was still still available. So in Atlanta, in that other guy's house, we decided, listen, we're not going to get any one of these dogs. We're going to go ahead and move on to the guy who's breeding them in Indianapolis. And so we did, and we went to that guy's house the next day, and we found this little guy, and we adopted him and brought him home. And the most important thing I want you to get from that story is that all of the work was done by us and none of the work was done by the dog. We did the research into which dog we wanted to get. We did the research into which breeder might be the one we wanted to get a dog from. We made personal contacts to people who knew that particular puppy. And we did all of this back-end work. And then we found the dog. We even changed his name. The original breeder had named him Preston. We changed his name to Scooter. Some of you have met Scooter. You know him. And so I just need to reiterate this, that 100% of the work was done by us. And none of the work was done by the dog. There was only one thing the dog had to do when he entered our family, and that was to learn what it meant to be part of our family. Everything else had been done for him. We did the research, we did the preparation, we did the sacrifices, we spent the money. All of the work had been done by us for him, and the only thing he had to do was learn what it meant to be part of a new family. I bring that up because that is adoption. That's the way adoption works. Let me show you this verse. It's from the book of Ephesians. I'm going to put all the verses up on the screen here so I'm not flipping through a ton of things here. But I'm just going to put it up on the screen here. It says, Ephesians 1, 4 through 5. For he chose us in him before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight. 
In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. God chose us. God loved us. God set us up, predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ. Now, there are a lot of things that go in behind the scenes of that statement. What does it mean to say that God adopted us or that God is a God of adoption? Today, I'm going to give you three basic concepts, three basic things to understand about what it means that God has adopted us. And the first thing that you need to realize, just like with me and my little dog, Scooter, is that we are not naturally God's children. We are not naturally God's children. We are naturally God's creation. And we are naturally created by God to bear his image. But we are not naturally his children. We are born estranged from him. Let me show you what I mean. We're going to look at John chapter 1, verses 11 through 13. It says this, Jesus came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who did receive him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children born not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, but born of God. The fundamental truth you have to get in... in, uh, relationship to God is that you are not naturally his child. Those who believed in his name get the right to become his children. You are not naturally a child of God. You must believe in the name of Jesus. You must receive Jesus in order to get the right to become a child of God. Write it down this way if you're taking notes. For God to be my father... I must receive Jesus. For God to be my father, I must receive Jesus. Now, there are a lot of people in this world who would say things like, oh, wait a minute, God is, he's the father for all of us. You know, all of us are God's children. And that's, you know, a good platitude. It's a good idea. It's a good thought. It's just not biblical. It's just not accurate. It's just not true. Those who are God's children are only those who have believed in Jesus, those who have received him. Maybe today you're wondering yourself, am I a child of God? Well, if you haven't received Jesus, the answer is no. There's just, you know, an extra twist to this. Because as I'm about to show you, this concept is one of the greatest human mental contradictions in the Bible. It's more rightfully called a paradox because as humans, we don't understand how these two things both exist at the same time. But I'm going to show you the other half of this statement. The first half was, in order to be a child of God, I have to receive Jesus. The second half of the statement comes from later on in the Gospel of John. Take a look at it with me. It says, Jesus said to them, if God were your father, you would love me. 
for I've come here from God. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Anyone who loves Jesus has the right to become a child of God. So anyone who loves Jesus is a child of God. That fits with what we just looked at in John chapter 1. Keep going. He says, I have not come on my own. God sent me. Why is my language not clear to you? Because you are unable to hear what I say. You belong to your father, the devil, and you want to carry out your father's desires. Jesus says, you, if you don't have God as your father, there is another father you could have, the devil. There are only two kinds of people. There are the people who have God as their father, and there are the people who have the devil as their father. And one of the things that's true about the devil, keep reading, he says this, the devil was a murderer from the beginning, not holding to the truth, for there's no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks his native language, for he is the liar and the father of lies. What Jesus is saying is there are two fathers. There is God the father, and if he is your father, you will love Jesus. You will receive Jesus. And there is another father, Satan, the devil. And the devil is such a deceiver that he might lead you to believe that God is your father when God is not your father. The devil is such a liar that he could convince you that God is your father even if God is not your father. But what Jesus said very clearly to the people who are listening to him is you don't understand me because the devil is your father. And if God were your father, you would receive me and love me. Write it down this way. If God is not my father, I cannot receive Jesus. Because the devil is such a liar. The devil is such a deceiver. That if he is my father, if my life is based upon the world around me that he has been shaping If the devil is my father, I will never understand Jesus. All I will know about Jesus is a lie about Jesus. And whatever I receive about Jesus is a lie that I am receiving. I can never receive the true Jesus unless God is my father. So here's your dilemma. God is not my father unless I receive Jesus. And if God is not my father, I can't receive Jesus. Hopefully you recognize that puts you in a pretty hopeless position. It puts all of us in a pretty hopeless position. And this is where adoption begins. Because see, here's the truth. If you believe you had anything to do with your birth, you are misunderstood. If you believe that somehow you are responsible for how and when you entered this world, you are mistaken. Every one of us must come to grips with this simple truth that I did not choose my father. My father chose me. Adoption means God chose to adopt. And apart from God, I am helpless and hopeless. Yes, you need to receive Jesus, but you can't unless God is your father. That means the only solution to our lives is if God chooses to adopt, and thankfully, he has. Take a, look at we, take a look with me at the passage we started with from Ephesians. It says this, for he chose us 
In him, before the creation of the world, to be holy and blameless in his sight. In love, he predestined us for adoption to sonship through Jesus Christ in accordance with his pleasure and will. It is good news and it's a good thing that our Heavenly Father chooses to adopt us. But I'm going to now take you to one of the most difficult passages in Scripture. It's in Romans chapter 9. It's a tough passage because it teaches something that we don't think we can handle. And so we react against it. Let me share it with you. It starts in, in Romans chapter 9. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 8, and then we're going to skip ahead and go to verse 15. But here it is, chapter 9, verse 1. Paul is writing. He says, I speak the truth in Christ. I'm not lying. My conscience confirms it through the Holy Spirit. Now, why does he say that? He says it because he's about to tell us something controversial. He's about to tell us something that we're not going to want to hear. He's about to tell us something that is dangerous to our own perceptions of ourselves and dangerous to our own perceptions of God. And so he says, I'm not lying. I'm really sure about this. I'm telling it to you because I'm in Christ and because the Holy Spirit is confirming it in me. He says it multiple times to try to convince us that he knows what he's talking about. He says this, I have great sorrow and unceasing anguish in my heart. For I could wish that I myself were cursed and cut off from Christ for the sake of my people, those of my own race, the people of Israel. Here's his, his context. Everything up till now through the book of Romans is Paul talking about how God's grace is available to all people. And people can receive God's grace. But now he comes to this realization that he is a Jewish person, descendant of Jewish people. And he is wondering why his Jewish people have not received this grace. And he's come to realize the answer. But it's so uncomfortable to us as humans that he has to couch it in this, no, I'm really telling the truth. I wish that I were cursed so that my people could come to God. But none of those things can happen. Because human decisions don't result in human salvations. Let me show you what I mean. Keep going. He says theirs is the adoption to sonship. There it is, the word adoption. He's talking about the Israelites. He says the Israelites were the first people to be chosen by God to be his children. The Israelites were the first people who experienced adoption. Theirs is the adoption to sonship. If anyone should know what it means to be a child of God, it would be the Israelites because the adoption came to them first. But see what he says. Theirs is the divine glory. They've experienced God's glory. Theirs is the covenants. They've experienced God's promises. Theirs is the receiving of the law. They received God's own words, the Ten Commandments and the rest of the law. Theirs is the temple worship and the promises. Theirs are the patriarchs, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob. And from them is traced the human ancestry of even the Messiah who is God over all, forever praised. Amen. Paul is so overwhelmed with the idea that the Israelites have every asset, every single human and spiritual asset that they could possibly need. And he is overwhelmed with this question of why is it with all of the assets they have not received Jesus keep going he says it is not as though God's word had failed is it God's fault did he lie to them did his word fail no for not all who were descended from Israel are Israel nor because they are his descendants are they all Abraham's children on the contrary, it is through Isaac that your offspring will be reckoned. In other words, it is not the children by physical descent who are God's children. 
but it is the children of the promise who are regarded as Abraham's offspring. Paul realizes that those people who are born Israelite are not Israelite. Because God created a chain of promise, not a chain of blood. God created a chain of promise, not a chain of DNA. God didn't say, if you have Abraham's DNA, you are my child. God said, if you are my child, you are my child. If I have chosen you, you are my child. And some people begin to really question, wait a minute, are you saying... Are you saying that human activity doesn't have anything to do with whether or not God chooses us or adopts us? And my answer to you is yes. Let me show you just a few verses later in verse 15. It says this. God says to Moses, I will have mercy on whom I have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or effort, but on God's mercy. If I'm a child of God, it's not because I did anything. If I'm a child of God, it doesn't depend on human desire or effort. If I'm a child of God, it depends on God's mercy alone. Write it down this way. God in his mercy chooses those he will adopt. Now I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, wait a minute. I was told all my life that I need to receive Jesus. I need to pray to receive him. I need to ask Jesus into my heart. I need to ask for him to forgive me of my sins. And the answer to those things is yes, you were taught right. You were just taught in such a way that covers the results of something that God does first. You see, God does something first that we would call adoption or choosing. And then in response to that adoption, we need to learn what it means to be in his family. Let me prove the point to you by taking you to John 8, 42. It says this, Jesus said to those people, if God were your father, you would love me for I've come here from God. I have not come on my own. God sent me. Two things relate to each other. If I'm his child, I will love Jesus. And if I love Jesus, it's because I've been adopted. And if you love Jesus, it's because you've been adopted. Listen, this is abundantly important for us. A lot of times we think that we had something to do with our salvation. I chose to go to church. I chose to pray that prayer. I chose to do whatever it is that I chose to do. But God is saying, hang on a second. You can't love Jesus unless I am your father. So if you have made the decision to love Jesus, it's because God made a decision before that to adopt you. And you think, well, wait a minute, God, that's not fair. Listen, there's a lot of stuff in Romans chapter 9 that I would love to walk through with you, but none of it is going to give you the conclusion that God is fair. The only thing you can conclude from Romans chapter 9 is that God is in charge, and that God is good, and that God is loving, 
But you won't conclude that God is fair because your notion of fair and my notion of fair do not coincide with God's notion of grace. Because see, if God were fair to all of us, none of us would be his children. God in his mercy and in his grace chooses whom he will adopt. And those he has adopted are those who respond in love and faith. So what do we do? What do we do about this? I mean, if it's all up to God, then I don't need to do anything, right? Some people might say that. But if it's all up to God, then what difference does it make what I do? Some might think. We've got a couple more verses I want to take you to. And this next one comes from Romans chapter 8. Verses 12 through 17, it's the chapter immediately before chapter 9 where Paul is actually setting up the stuff that he will then be talking about in chapter 9, but I chose to do it in reverse order today. It says this, therefore, brothers and sisters, we have an obligation. Okay, so we've been adopted, but we've got a job to do. We have an obligation, but it is not to the flesh. The flesh is this stuff, the natural stuff. The way I was born, the way I was raised, the way I live, the things that I think, the things that I want, the desires, my habits, all of the stuff that I have accumulated in my life, over my life, is my flesh. That flesh gives me temptations and desires and and motivations. And my obligation is not to keep feeding the flesh. My obligation is something else. Not to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body, you will live. And so here's a thing that Christians have talked about a lot. What you need to do is you need to put to death all of the misdeeds of the body. You need to say no to those things of your former life. You need to say no to those things that took you away from God, that led you away from God. You need to say no to those things that God doesn't like. And we're all big on the rules and regulations. Christians are not unique in this world. We love rules and regulations, especially when we can point our finger at other people and tell them how they're missing their rules and regulations and then ignore the fact that we ourselves are missing other rules and regulations. We just love rules and regulations. But Paul said something there that's important. He said, if by the Spirit you put to death the misdeeds of the body. See, I don't have power to put to death the misdeeds of the body or the flesh. I need some extra power. I need God's Holy Spirit power in my life to put to death the misdeeds of the flesh. And see what he says next. For those who are led by the Spirit of God are the children of God. The spirit you received does not make you slaves so that you live in fear again. Rather, the spirit you received brought about your adoption to sonship. And by him we cry, Abba, Father, or Dad, or Daddy. The spirit testifies with our spirit that we are God's children. God adopts. He gives us his spirit to prove it. And by the power and presence of the Spirit, I can then put to death the misdeeds of the body. There's just one extra little thing that he shares. Keep going. He says, now if we are children, then we are heirs, heirs of God and co-heirs with Christ. If indeed we share in his sufferings in order that we may also share in his glory. You see, if God has adopted me, I have a job to do. The job is to allow God to coach me into understanding what it means to be his child. 
to allow God to shape me by his spirit into understanding what it means to be his child. And then to understand that one of the things it means to be his child is to walk through suffering with an eye on the glory and the difficulty. So what do we do? I said I was going to give you three principles of adoption. And I've mentioned the third one already. I just haven't put it in this phrase. So write it down this way. We can't earn it. We need to learn it. Adoption isn't something you earn. But it is definitely something you need to learn. On the day we picked up Scooter, we drove to this house in Indianapolis. It was like 7 or 8 o'clock at night. We'd just come on our trip from Atlanta and uh, made it into Indianapolis. We got to this guy's house, kind of a nice house in a nice neighborhood. We knocked on the door. The guy came to the door. I said, hi, I'm the guy. I was chatting with you over Facebook. We're the ones who are looking to uh, meet Preston. And he said, yeah, come on in. And we're nervous because, you know, this is a Facebook marketplace kind of situation. But we went inside the guy's house. And there we are in his living room. And there in the middle of his living room, he's got this little like uh, plastic playpen kind of thing. Um, not, not an actual playpen, but just like these plastic walls. And then these dogs were in the middle of it, these little puppies, 12-week-old puppies. And uh, there were like two dark gray puppies that I recall. Maybe there were three, but there were two dark gray puppies. And they were super excited. They were jumping up and down. They were scratching against the little plastic fence. They were looking at us. They were sniffling. They were, they were making little kind of whiny, excited noises. And they were jumping and they were all excited. And my son is nervous about dogs. Uh, one of the reasons we decided to get a dog was back then, at that time, he was really nervous about dogs, thinking they might want to jump on him. And so one of the reasons we wanted to get a dog is to help him overcome some of his uh, concerns about the, the things that are unknown in his life. And we walked in and we see these two dogs just going nuts. And so I'm like, Charlie, stand behind me, you know, and you know, we're, we're trying to make sure that everybody in the family is feeling comfortable. But the dog that we had seen on Facebook, a little black and white dog, was back off in the corner. His brothers were just all jumping up and down and scratching on the thing. And, and he was back off in the corner, sitting on like a little blanket, just kind of laying down, not doing anything, totally quiet. And that was the dog we had come to look at. So I asked the guy if I could hold him, and he said, yeah, go ahead. So I went over and I picked him up and the other little dogs, you know, they're like jumping on my arm and trying to get me to pick them up. And, and I picked up this little guy, Preston, and he was about that big. And so I kind of cradled him in my arm and his little tushy was sitting right here in the hole of my arm. And as I was looking over to show him to Charlie and Katie, Jen noticed that his little tail was wagging back here that I had picked him up and we had just met. I had just started holding him and he was starting to wag his tail. And I showed him to the kids. They were like, oh, he's so cute. We ended up giving the guy some money and then, then we, we drove away with little Preston in the back of our car as we were debating whether we were going to call him Scooter or D'Artagnan or um, D'Artagnan Preston Michaels III or something. You know, we, we were debating his name and we're driving away. And from that moment on, 
he then needed to learn what it meant to be part of our family. But see, here's the thing. We had done all the work. We had done all the research. We had saved up all the money. We had done all the preparation. We had made all the choices. We got there, and even though there were some dogs that looked excited, and there was one dog that looked like completely out of it, and we weren't exactly sure whether this was going to work for our family, we had already made the decision. We chose him. We picked him up. And after I picked him up, then he started to love. And after we adopted him, then he started to grow to learn what it meant to be part of our family. God, in his great mercy, chose to adopt you. And if you have a sense of affection and love, if you received Jesus into your life, then there's only one reason for it. It's because God has chosen you, he loves you, he's adopted you. And you are his child and he's led you to respond. And if you don't have that desire to follow Jesus, if you don't have a love for him, well, I could say that maybe if you're feeling the tug on your heart, that's proof that God is in the process of adopting you. He's in the process of picking you up and you, like a little dog, need to wag your tail or at least say thanks or something and receive that. That's definitely, definitely true. But to be honest, there are some people in this world who have zero desire to follow Jesus. They have zero understanding of Jesus and we need to keep bringing the message of Jesus to them because we don't know if or when God will ever choose to adopt them but we know the reason why they can't respond right now is that God needs to do something because by his mercy, he chooses to adopt. So where do we end with all this? Well, I want to give you something that you can take home and it's not a pithy little statement, although I'll give you something at the bottom to write down, but it's mostly this verse. Take a look at this from 1 John chapter 3. See what great love the Father has lavished on us that we should be called children of God? And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and what we will be has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. God adopts. God puts his spirit in us. We respond by receiving him, by loving Jesus, by following him, and by letting our lives get transformed more and more into the likeness of Jesus himself. Because God adopts, and then we learn what it means to be his children. And we purify ourselves in the process. I want to give you one final thing to write down. If God is adopting you, and I use that in the current present progressive sense, if God is in the process of adopting you, then receive it and learn it and live it. It's highly important that we get our handle on what it means to say God is our heavenly dad. But the last thing that it means for you and to me is that if God is our heavenly dad, we have to live like his children. And we have to understand that we didn't earn it, we just need to learn it. And we need to understand that he is the one in his grace and his mercy who's choosing to adopt. And so we, in gratitude and love, receive and learn and live. My hope is that you can be a person this week 
who is praying for God to adopt more people and is working to demonstrate what it actually means to be his child in this world. I pray that you do that. I pray that we all do that together. And hopefully this next week we will represent him the way God wants us to represent him in this world. Let me pray for you. Thanks for listening to this message from Lafayette Community Church. We are all about helping you live the life you were made to live. God made you. God loves you. And his plans for you are perfect. So if you are anywhere near Lafayette, Indiana, join us this weekend at one of our worship gatherings. And wherever you are, check us out online at lafayettecommunitychurch.com.